If you're able, would you remain standing and once again turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles. <laughs> Ephesians 5, and we're going to read verses 17 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. So here, here is the word of our Lord. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of of God. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we approach your word this morning desiring to hear from you. We pray that you would open our hearts to see your goodness in this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Holy Spirit of God is the executor of all the plans of the Godhead. He's the one who applies the work of the Son accomplished in His life, and His death, and His resurrection. The Holy Spirit is the doer. The Father plans, the Son executes, the Spirit applies the work to people. He's the one who is working in the elect of God. He's the one who is regenerating dead hearts even to today. He is in charge of our growth in the Lord. He's in charge of our sanctification. So the Holy Spirit is essential for the ministry of the church. The church cannot exist apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in its midst. The church cannot be effective in discipling the nations unless the Spirit of God is working through it in the world. So we should find many references to the Holy Spirit in a letter, such as Ephesians, whose main focus and main theme is the church of Jesus Christ. That above all things, that's what Ephesians is about, the church of Jesus Christ. And if the Spirit is so essential for the work of the church, we should find Him throughout the letter. And we do. Ephesians is not only the letter about the church of Jesus Christ, but also the letter about the Spirit of Jesus Christ, as the Spirit works through the church of Jesus Christ. So I would like to, to begin by taking you in a, in a brief journey through Ephesians and looking at how Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit and its ministry, his ministry, sorry, in the church of Jesus Christ. Then I want us to take a look at the specific passage that we are considering this morning and the idea that we are to be filled with the Spirit, or better yet, better yet we are to be we are to fill ourselves with the Spirit. And the four things that it, uh, uh, Paul tells us uh, fill us with the Spirit. And then I want us to finish by spending some time on the fourth thing, the idea that we're to submit, to our, uh, to submit ourselves to one another as uh, a way that we are filled by the Spirit. So let us begin today by looking at what Ephesians says concerning the Spirit and how it is prevalent in the book of Ephesians, how this, the, the Spirit is all over this book. And the first thing I want us to, to see is that the Holy Spirit seals us, assuring us that we will have eternal life in the resurrection. Look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 
There the apostle says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed to the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God assures us that Christ is coming back, that we have eternal life, and that we will see him as he is, for we shall be like him. But the Holy Spirit also gives us access to the Father by bringing our prayers to him. Look at chapter 2, verse 18, where there the apostle says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. He repeats that in chapter 6, verse 18, that the Spirit is the one that brings our prayers to the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals to the church the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See that in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where there it says that the Holy Spirit tells, it reveals to us that all nations will be blessed in Jesus Christ, that all nations will be grafted into Israel, the church of Jesus. Look where he says there in verse 5 of chapter 3, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The Holy Spirit also strengthens the Christian, the core of whom he is, the core of whom she is. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. That he would grant you according to the richest of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. It is the spirit of God who strengthens us at the core of who we are to follow God, to do what God commands, to believe in God, to do the things that God calls us to do. And the Holy Spirit unites the church of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. Paul says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So you walk according to the calling that you've been called with, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. And the Holy Spirit gives the church her only offensive weapon in the war that we are engaged in, the war against principalities and powers. Remember what the only, in the chapter of the armor of God, God uh, Paul describes all these things that we're supposed to put on by faith in Christ. And of all these things, of the helmet, the breastplate, the shoes, and everything else, there's only one thing that's a, an offensive weapon. Remember what that is? What is it? It's the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. So the Spirit strengthens and gives the church her offensive weapon to fight the the battle that God calls her to fight. And it is this Spirit that we must be filled with. This Spirit that does all these things for the church that we must be filled with. Now, a believer always has the Spirit in him, always has the Spirit in her. So this is not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is already with you if you're a believer. But to be filled with the Spirit is to believe do and say the very things that the Spirit guides you uh, to do. And one thing I think we need, uh, one thing that's important we keep in mind is that being filled with the Spirit is not merely a subjective experience. In the 20th century, bleeding into the 21st century, we've been told that being filled with the Spirit is some sort of a, a, a passive thing that happens to you very subjective and that you have really no participation in it. We were told that we just sit there and perhaps like we get often. Remember, you know when it's a very dry day and you touch the door of your car 
and you're zapped by static electricity or you sit on the couch and you come and put your hand around your wife or your husband and they zap you. A lot of times think about the feeling of the Spirit as that, as this passive zapping that you have nothing to do, no control over. It just happens to you and all of a sudden, boom, there you're filled with the Spirit. That's not how the Bible teaches the feeling of the Spirit happens. Notice that Paul commands us to be filled or to fill ourselves with the Spirit. If you look at verses 19 through 21 of our passage, these, N, uh, these words that end with I-N-G are all describing the command to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, in the context of Ephesians, one is filled with the Spirit as he does these things that Paul lists in verses 19 through 21. So we have these four activities listed here in these verses that, are, that, that mark the Spirit-filled life, that fill your life with the Spirit. The first one is verse 19, the first half, where Paul says that you're filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And these are not three different ways to talk about the book of the Psalms or three divisions of the book of the Psalms. These are three different classes of Psalms that should be present in the church. We're going to, to um, talk about that more in January. I just realized this uh, Friday. Now, I had to work diligently ahead and I was going to uh, be ready to, to preach the next sermon already. And I realized that that sermon doesn't fall till the second Sunday of January. Because, Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to have Pastor uh, Muhammad Yamut, uh, the pastor of the entire church that Tini's work with, preaching here for us. And then the following Sunday is already December, so we'll start our Advent series, and we'll be back to Ephesians in uh, January, if the Lord tarries. So we'll look at that, this idea that these three terms are not three, three ways to refer to the Psalms, that God has given us all kinds of different ways uh, to sing in the church, but that's going to be later in this in January. What I want you to notice for right, right now is that the very first description of being filled with the Spirit has to do with other people. The very first description of your being filled with the Spirit has not an inward focus, but an outward focus. Look again at verse 19 of chapter 5, uh, where Paul says, speaking how? To one another. Speaking to one another. The, 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 the Bible tells us that being filled with the Spirit has a lot to do with other people in your life. And this is an allusion to the corporate worship of God. Spirit-filled people will sing together for the glory of God and the good of one another. The Bible does not have a category for the Christian who doesn't sing. Now, they exist out there. I've heard of them. And I see some in here as well. So, but what I'm saying is that the, for, the, for the, Bible's, the Bible's authors, the idea that a Christian doesn't sing is just foreign. It do, it's just, you can't think about that. That's just what part of being a Christian is singing. And the reason we have a difficult time with that is that we always try to equate singing with being happy. And the Bible doesn't do that. Do you know how we do that? Do you know how we know that? Read the book of Psalms. And you see that. Read Psalm 77. Read Psalm 88. Read uh, Psalm 137. It talks about them. they're hanging their harp on the willow because they are in captivity. Those are not happy, slappy songs. They are the song of those in despair, particularly Psalm 88. So the Christian sing. The Christian sings when he's happy. 
The Christian sings when she is in despair, because that's what Christians do. Lord willing, in April, we're going to have uh, Carl Truman preach here at this pulpit. Uh, Carl Truman is a, is a OP minister, uh, a well-known seminary professor, and he's goes a college professor now, and he's going to do a series of the seminary, and then he's going to preach here at our church. And the best thing about that is that he has a British accent. That's really like the, the best thing about him. Not really. But he, he wrote a... He wrote... I hope he doesn't listen to this somewhere. Uh, <laughs> He wrote a, an essay called, What Shall Miserable Christians Sing? And there was an argument for singing more psalms in the church. But did you know that, that there are Christians that are miserable? you believe that, that there are some Christians, even in our midst, that are, feel miserable? And I'm, I'm trying to be sarcastic, because that's often how we feel when it comes to church. And we, had, we bought this lie that somehow in church everybody's supposed to be happy and that we're supposed to put this, this facade and we're supposed to sing these happy slappy songs because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And that's not the Christianity of the Bible. The Christianity of the Bible is that Christians sometimes struggle. Christians sometimes are miserable. They are in despair. And even in their despair from the depths of the grave or the depths of the shoal, the pit, they sing. Psalm 40 is an excellent example of that, where David says that from the Mari pit he sung, sang, and God rescued him out of that. So how are we, one of the ways that we are filled by the Spirit is by singing. But singing to one another and with one another. If you're wondering, that's one of the reasons why we're singing today in violation to the order of the government. Do you realize that you're all criminals at this moment because of the criminal Offense to sing in church is not just a civil offense, it's a criminal offense. But it makes, it's part of the core of whom we are as Christians. We sing when we get together. The second element is of being filled with the Spirit is again in verse 19. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So the Christian not only sings aloud, outwardly, and to the, to, to the glory of God and to bless others is, uh, uh, around you, but he also sings, she also sings from his or her heart. It's not just an outward observation. It's also a heart issue. That, that speaking is coming out of a heart that is always also singing to the Lord. Your heart is focused on the Lord. You are talking to yourself here as well as to the Lord. Psalm 42 and 43 are a great example of this idea that we are to not only talk to others, not only talk to God, but also talk to ourselves. Psalm 42 says, Why are you so disquieted within me, my soul? Hope in God. And that's a song that the psalmist is singing to himself from his heart. And it implies a constant, active, and conscientious state of mind. It implies purposeful thinking. You're filled with the Spirit when your heart is meditating on the Lord. Something that we have forgotten. The Puritans were great on that. They, they would meditate. And meditate was beyond Bible reading. They would read their Bible. They maybe memorize a passage or, or, or a verse. And then they would take time to think about that verse. How it applies. What are the different passages? They would look at straight on. 
in their minds. And then they would turn this one degree in one way and they look at how it looks that way. Then they would turn a little bit the other way and see how that works and meditated upon that. Uh, meditation, biblical meditation, is the opposite of what people call meditation today. Because today they talk about um, transcendent meditation, which is supposed, you're supposed to empty your minds of all things. The Bible says meditate by filling your mind with God. And his word. And that's the one of the ways that we are filled by the Spirit, with the Spirit, is by having our hearts filled with his songs. And the third way is in verse 20. It says, You're filled by the Spirit by giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One cannot live a life of ingratitude and be filled with the Spirit. Again, that's a category that the Bible doesn't have for Christians. There's no such thing in the Bible as an ungrateful Christian. Again, we exist. I'm not saying that we don't exist. We exist. But it's something that's foreign to the Scriptures. The Christian doesn't have any reason to be ungrateful, regardless of what your circumstance in life is. And we're filled with the Spirit when we realize that, and we give thanks, an active, sincere heart of thanksgiving. As part of being filled with the Spirit. Spirit. It's interesting that people want to be, people want the filling of the Spirit to manifest itself in all kinds of ways, in speaking in strange languages, or healing the sick, or raising the dead. That's how they see. Oh, I'm filled with the Spirit if I do these all these mighty, powerful, self-exalting acts. And yet here Paul says, no, actually, you're filled with the Spirit when you're simply thankful. But pastor, that's too hard. I prefer raising the dead. Yes, that's exactly the point. You have all these self-exalting acts that people like to call filled with the Spirit. But it's a simple act of thankfulness to God through Jesus Christ. That is where the Spirit, that's where the Spirit is. Now this, this thankfulness is not aimless either. It is directed to God. With a time of the year where Uh, people are going to you know, talk about being thankful, right? This Thanksgiving week and TV broadcasts talk about being thankful and so on. But we're not called just to be thankful like aimlessly. We're called to be thankful to God through Jesus Christ. That's where our thankfulness goes. And the fourth action of a spirit-filled person is in verse 21. We're not close to the end. Just that, you know, we're about halfway through. So that, you know... So that you know. Uh, in verse 21, Paul says that we are filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Again, being filled with the Spirit, according to the Scriptures, looks a lot humbler than what a lot of people says it looks like. Those that are filled with the Spirit submit themselves to one another. Don't you find it interesting that he doesn't describe being filled with the Spirit with great feet? with great conquests, but he equates it with being humbly submissive to one another. And Paul defines what submitting to one another really well in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what he says. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself, that each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I want the power of the Spirit. 
I want the Spirit to be magnified in my life. I want the Spirit to drive me in my life. I want to be filled by the Spirit. Humbly submit yourself to others. Think of the interests of others ahead of your own. I'm going to commit a cultural sin right now. Anathema to what I'm going to say culturally. Do not be self-assertive. That's how being filled with the Spirit looks like. And notice also that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a corporate pursuit. You can't really sing and speak to people. You can't really submit to people if they are not there. And you cannot do that if you're not there. So it's impossible to be filled by the Spirit by yourself. That it depends, at least here in Ephesians, depends on having people around you. It's a corporate affair. People of God, you need each other. We need each other. If we're going to be filled by the power of the Spirit, we need each other. We cannot do that alone. Do not ever let anybody convince you that the church is not essential. The church is of ultimate need and foundational need for any society to exist. And notice that being filled with the Spirit has more to do with obedience to God's Word than some, than some ob- uh, subjective experience that you might feel in your stomach. And people, we don't like that, right? It's simple. It's not complicated. We follow God in what He says in order to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I wanted to focus for a little bit on that last one, submitting one another, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord or the the fear of of Christ. Why should we submit to one another? Think for about three seconds, for some reasons in your your head, why we should submit to one another. I'm going to give you four of them in a moment. But think, why should we submit to one another? Well, the Bible tells us so. That's a good one. We're going to assume that that's a good one and leave on the side. But why should you submit to one another? Let me offer you four Four reasons. First one, because we are new creatures. We've been transformed by the Spirit of God. If you notice in chapter 15, or in chapter 5, sorry, you're going to find a lot of thens, therefores, and fors. These are all connecting words. And in order to find the origin, you need to keep on tracing them back. So, for example, in, chapter, in, in verse 15 of chapter 5, we have the word therefore, you have the word then. Then in, chapter four, in verse 14, you have the word therefore. In verse 12, the word for. Then in verse 8, the word for. In verse 7, the word therefore. In verse 1, the word therefore. And you keep on going, keep on going, and you're going to find yourself in chapter 4, verses 20, uh, verse 17 through 24. Where there Paul tells us that we are to submit ourselves to one another because we have been saved. We've been transformed, we've been Translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. We've been renewed. We're no longer part of the old system. We're part of the new system of Christ. And because we're not part of the old system, because we've learned Christ, now we walk according to that. So we, we submit to one another because God has enabled us to do that. God has enabled us to shed pride, to take off pride and put on humility that's needed to submit to one another. <clears throat> Reason number two, because in, in the immediate purpose, in the immediate context of our passage, because we are to walk circumspectly, we are to walk carefully, we are to walk accurately. And this is really the driving point of our passage. We submit to one another because that is part of our Christian walk. 
Did you get that? One of the tests of my Christianity, one of the tests of your Christianity, the, the truth of it, the genuineness of it, is whether you humbly submit to others. No, uh, What's his name? Author of Invictus. Hensley, yes. If, he said, if you subscribe to that, you are not a Christian. If you are the captain of your soul, and the ma- captain of your ship, the master of your soul, you are not a Christian. Because Christian essentially submit to one another. That, that's just how the Spirit exhibits itself in our lives. Reason number three, we submit to one another because the days are evil. We saw that in verses 6, 15 and 16, where Paul says that we are to walk carefully by redeeming the time because the days are, that we live in are evil. And redeeming the time means to use every opportunity for good, as we saw in the previous sermon. And we do that, we do good, we take advantage of it by submitting to one another. Jesus Christ himself said that the world will see that the gospel is true. The world will see that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ if we do what? If we love one another. And part of that love is humble submission to one another. And reason number four, we submit to one another because that is how we become filled with the Spirit. Not by asserting our rights every time, but by humbling ourselves before God and submitting to one another. Now, what is this submission to one another? How does it look like? Let Let me offer a few suggestions of how this looks like. First thing I want you to notice on this is that submission has nothing to do with the people that are around you. Do you get that? You're not submitting to somebody because they are worth it. That's not what Paul says. Look again at verse 21 where he says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God or in the fear of Christ, more likely there. The basis of mutual submission is not what the people around you are or who they are. The basis for submission has nothing to do with what they have done. It has to do with our reverence for the one who has made us a new creature. We submit it to one another because of who Christ is, not because of whom Titu is or Carol is or Evan is. That's not why. It's because of who Christ is. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why that doesn't change in our relationship. Now, Mutual submission is hard because it requires humility. Again, remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, 3? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. The uh, great uh, British uh, New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce, in commenting on Philippians 2, 3, he says, Christians should not be self-assertive, each insisting on getting his, his or her own way, as the Philippians believers are told, they should be humble enough to count others better than themselves and put the interests of others before their own. Now think about how you have conducted during this time of COVID and the different regulations and people's expectations. <clears throat> Why have we asserted what we asserted? Is that because we think Christ is going to be glorified? Is that because we think the church is going to be built up? Is it because we think our brethren are going to be made uh, better by our asserting our rights? Or are we asserting rights just because it's our rights and that's what I do because I'm an American. And American stands for their rights. 
mutual submission requires giving of ourselves to others. Again, Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And how does he back that up? How does he illustrate that thought? By saying, let this mind, which was in Christ, be also new. That he, who was God himself, did not think that being God should keep him from taking upon himself flesh like ours, a nature like ours. Live a life of misery in this world. Humble himself to the death of the cross. That's the pattern of self-submission, of mutual submission. It's Christ becoming like one of us to die for us. Do you think Christ had the right of not dying on the cross? Yes. 100%. You think he had the right of not becoming like one of us? I don't, we don't think of this very often, but the, the suffering of Jesus, the suffering of the Son wasn't just the cross. Becoming like one of us, that was misery for him. Because he's God. And yet he did. He laid aside his rights so that he might serve us in that way. And Paul also gives us that same example in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Is that how we think of one another? That we are their servants, their slaves for the sake of Jesus? Now, I, you know, I preach a sermon like this, and then we go to a verse like this, and people say, yes, pastor, preach it. My wife really needs to know that she's supposed to submit. To or, yes, my brothers need to know that they you know, are supposed to submit to me. And That's not what I'm saying. The command is to submit to one another, not to require that everyone else submit to you. Of course, there are offices and roles that require that you submit to them. You are to submit to the civil government. You submit to, to, to submit to the church government. You are to submit to your elders. You are to submit to your parents. You are to submit to your employer, employers. But Paul's emphasis here is that each one of us humbly submit to one another. When we read this verse, our first thought should not and cannot be, how do I get people to submit to me and do what I want them to do? Our first thought must be, how can I give of myself to others and humbly serve them? That's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Mutual submission requires serving others. Remember Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the upper room? Where he says, you've seen what I've done for you. Now go out and do the same kinds of things. Now what are some even more practical ways to submit and serve one another? Let me offer four brief, more practical ways to submit, to show your submission, or to submit to one another. The first one, take every opportunity you have to do good for the people around you. Take whatever opportunity you have to do good for the people around you. Look for ways to bless them. Now, Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good within, when it is within your power to do that good. Two, look for ways to humbly serve the people who are close to you. It's, as, a, as a churchman, I know that's very easy, as a pastor, I know it's very easy to raise money to build an orphanage for hungry kids in Mali or Kenya. People give money, oh man, that's... 
But it is very difficult to get somebody to go visit someone who is sitting next to them on the pew, right here, close to one another. Look for ways to humbly serve the people who are close to you. God has placed you where you are in order for you to submit and serve the people who are around you. But God, these people, I don't want to serve them. Tough. What you want needs to be aligned with what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants you to serve the people that are close to you. Thirdly, and this is hard, what I'm going to say, take godly rebuke to heart. Pride does not listen to others. Pride is conceited. Pride has selfish ambition. Humility, being filled with the Spirit, is humble, and we submit to one another by taking to heart godly rebuke. Humility, humility will, be, will welcome godly advice. And the fourth one is the, probably, no, Captain Obvious again. Submit to one another by praying for one another. He said, Pastor, that, we know that. I mean, we, we're paying you the big bucks for more complicated, you know, uh, insights here. We need some unique insights never heard anywhere else. No, you don't, because that, usually that's heresy. But pray for one another. Uh, John Bunyan said, you know, you can do more than praying once you've prayed. But you can't do more than praying until you've prayed. What else can we do if you pray? No, well, pray for one another. Think about one another. Take a moment now and literally look around. I do, please do that. I know that you can turn all the way around. Turn, uh, turn around if you need to. Look around. All right. Now, I want you to think of the people that you saw as you turn around. You can turn around again if you forgot already. <laughs> and think in your mind, when was the last time I prayed for that person? You want to be filled with the Spirit? Submit to one another. You want to submit to one another? Pray for one another. <clears throat> Being filled with the Spirit has everything to do with how you serve and relate to other people. That is where the focus is. So Paul says in verse 18, don't seek fulfillment in substance. All that that is is selfishness. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit of God and serve one another. Let us pray together. Father, we do pray that you empower us with your Spirit, that we might be able to serve one another, that we might be able to sing to one another, that we might be thankful in our hearts, that we might be able to sing from our hearts uh, so that we might be filled with your Spirit. Humble us to be more like our Lord Jesus Christ, who is willing to be humbled for our sakes. We thank you that you have exalted him, and we thank you that you tell us that if we humble ourselves, you will lift us up. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.